set ourselves up to succeed. That's a lot of hard work and it's not just rocking up at nine o'clock, throwing the mic up and hoping for the best, you know. If I spend a lot of time thinking negatively about it or questioning it or, you know, trying to find the things that could be wrong with it, well, then it's going to pass me by or it's going to not work out. Hi, my name is John O'Driscoll, and you are very welcome to the Blueprint Podcast. Ask yourself one question. Have you a blueprint for success? Are you doing all you can do to get where you want to be? Join me and my guests each week as we discuss their blueprint for success. Please drop us a like or a follow wherever you get your podcasts. Spotify, Apple, Google, and please give us a five out of five star rating. It does really help. Thank you so much. Uh, This week's episode of the Blueprint Podcast, I'm delighted to be joined by a man of many talents. He's a, a radio presenter, a podcast host, a guitarist, a Guinness World Record holder and Ireland's biggest Metallica fan outside of me. <laughs> uh, I was going to say, a lot of people will dispute you on that one. <laughs> Dave Moore, you're very welcome to the Blueprint Podcast. Thanks so much for having me, John. Really appreciate it. Not at all. Thanks. Thanks for, really for coming on. Um, I, I suppose where to start, we probably are speaking at an interesting time for you. Um, New show, uh, three weeks in, the Dave Moore show on Today FM 9 to 12. Uh, 21 years as Dermot and Dave, which I was an avid listener to. Um, Thank you very much. How how has the change been and how does this feel going from a, a duo to a, a solo? Um, well, the change has been a long time coming. I suppose for most people it was, it was sudden and it was uh, a short run in from the moment that we said it was going to happen until it happened. It was four days. Um, and from our point of view, uh, you know, he and I obviously are best mates. We've talked for a long time. It hasn't it hasn't just popped up all of a sudden at the beginning of August of this year. Uh, so the change has been, you know, well managed in terms of being able to spend enough time dealing with it over the, the period from where we did have our first conversations about him deciding to step away and it actually happening. So I suppose that was kind of easy in the sense that we kind of, uh, I don't know if grieved is the right word, but we certainly kind of processed all the emotions around it. And don't get me wrong, the last week and particularly the last show was an emotional roller coaster, but uh, it wasn't a surprise. There was no shock. There was no, uh, you know, there was nothing out of the out of the left field on that. In terms of how it feels now being solo, it's very different. Uh, but I set the task to myself and my team inside in work to create a show that isn't a Dermot and Dave show hosted by Dave. It has to be a new show. It has to be a show that can arguably only be hosted by Dave. So it has to lean into my strengths, my interests, the 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 bits of my personality that people, uh, you know, tend to chime in with and rent, I kind of see themselves in there, you know. So we've done all that. Uh, it's It was a lot of work. Um, you never have enough time. All of a sudden, the... The Monday rolls around, you got to start doing it and you're learning on the job. But look, that's the way it's been for 21 years. I mean, 
you know, we, we constantly have evolved that show that we were part of for that long. We never sat still every three months, every six months, we would sit there and look at everything we do and go, is this good enough? We change this, we move this, whatever it would be. And so this was a, an evolution, I suppose, of all of that, but it's definitely daunting, you know, to do something you're so familiar with as a duo to do it solo. I really miss him. Do you know what I mean? I really miss my friend, my best mate sitting across from me, maybe more so when the songs are playing or when the ads are on where we would have conversations and nothing to do with the show. You know, the show is designed in such a way that I shouldn't miss him as a broadcaster. You know, arguably I don't, but I suppose I don't mean that in a harsh way. I just mean mm. it, it's been designed to be my show. And therefore, you know, from a from a professional point of view, a second voice in there wouldn't work in this current format. If he was back, we design a new show and do whatever. But I definitely miss the human being. I miss I miss my best mate. And uh, we talk a lot and we see each other as much as we can. So, the, you know, that's that's not going to change. The average time for a show is about three years. 21 years is an incredible run. Um, outside of being friends, there must be kind of innate personality traits that just allows you to gel with someone or vice versa. It, like, you know, a partnership in any way, in any business is tough and there's ups and downs, but it just seemed to be kind of seamless. Is there any kind of a personality trait that you feel? I know you've you've mentioned before on your own podcast that you feel that you're a, you know, a fairly happy-go-lucky kind of person. You've mm. got, a, you know, a pretty chilled out personality, but is there anything that kind of is innate in you that you just thinks that you can make something work as a duo for so long? Uh, I think this honestly is a little bit of a lightning strike, a little bit of mercury. Uh, you know, you don't you don't really find these situations. Um, as you said, the average lifespan of a of a, a double header or a group kind of, you know, zoo crew type radio show is is three years. It's 18 months to get good and 18 months to get fired is usually the the, the logic there. <laughs> um and that is simply that simply comes down to, you know personalities and okay maybe some places the, the the quality isn't good enough and the listeners just go you know what i don't like this or i don't like that person or whatever it would be i think from our point of view you know i have i've had dermot for 21 years my producer maria is literally today celebrating her 17th year with us slash me so i guess it's me i guess i'm just so nice and so sound <laughs> that it's just impossible to fall out with me no i, I think Look, Dermot and I obviously share a genuine, you know, magical relationship. Um, we've never had a crossword, which is ridiculous. Uh, it sounds actually untrue. You know, even when I say it, I kind of feel like, I, I like it's not the same with me and my wife. You know, it's not the same <laughs> with me and my my best mates from Port Marnock when I was growing up. Not the same with me and my mates from college. Just whatever it is between me and him, like we have very different personalities. And we probably just yin and yang each other that 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 way that, you know, or, or maybe it's the environment. Maybe it's the fact that, look, ultimately, every three or six minutes, we have to go back on air and talk. And listeners don't care if we're having an argument or, you know, not that we mm -hmm. did, but they but they wouldn't care. So from that point of view, then maybe there was an innate kind of look, we have to get on at the start. Maybe that was some kind of fundamental building block. But to spend 21 years with someone working, you know, between five and seven hours a day in a high pressured live 
anything can go wrong environments. You know, is it fun? Yes. Are there ratings books every three months that you can lose your job with? Yes. You know, being able to survive all of those external pressures and external forces upon the duo. I I don't know. There's something special there. I don't, I don't anticipate I'll ever find it again. Hmm. I mean, you mentioned my, my podcast, Neil and Neil Delmer and I do a podcast together and, you know, he and I are, have a very similar relationship to Dermot myself, but I, I I don't spend as much time with Neil. I, you know, I like Neil and I meet up a couple of times a week like this, the way you and I are meeting to do episodes. Mm-hmm. I call into his house on the way home from work. Sometimes if he's passing, he'll nip in. We see each other at events, but I'm not in his face, you know, seven hours a day, five days a week for 21 years. It's a, you yeah, know, yeah. it's a very different relationship. Uh, I think the fact that we were both kind of outside of the traditional radio bubble. I mean, Dermot really wanted to get into it. He had done some local radio. He had worked on 98 FM before I joined him on 98 FM. He had done news reading. He had done some comedy. He had done some overnights. He had been in a radio environment for a couple of years, but he never had his own show. He never had anything like that. So we were both kind of new and green and fresh. And maybe there's something in that as well that we, you know, we weren't put together having already been established broadcasters. We were put together the exact opposite. We were put together by being two nobodies, you know, and given the opportunity of a lifetime to take on the biggest breakfast show at the time in in, in Dublin, not that I even understood what that meant when I walked in the door. But I suppose, yeah, it's kind of hard to put put a finger on. But certainly, look, I am, I sound like Alan Partridge now. He says, I have 104 friends, but you know, <laughs> but I'm somebody who I, I get on with people. I, there's nothing makes me happier than just having a lovely, vibey, positive conversation. And if I could do that for a living, then amazing. I didn't even know it was possible. You mentioned there like over 200,000 people like listening to you. What kind of pressure, what kind of responsibility do you feel that you have on a daily basis? Obviously, you want to entertain your listeners, but like, you know, to to entertain people for three hours and them not switching stations is, is fair going. Yeah. And I mean, I suppose it's that perverse thing about radio where all you want is the big listener numbers. And then with the big listener numbers come the pressure, you know, you know, it's, it's, it's a little bit perverse from that point of view. But I suppose you think about it in terms of how you create your radio show and choose your content. You have filters you put things through. So if I have 200,000 people tuning in on any given day, they're not all the same demographic. They're not all the same. They don't work in the same place. Some of them have jobs. Some of them don't. Some of them are listening in the car. Some of them are sitting in the office with headphones on. Some of them are have their kids at home. It's on in the factory where they work. Some of them are driving around in a delivery van. So you you think to yourself, like, ultimately, my audience is Ireland. You know, my audience is this country. I'm a national broadcaster. So you don't let the numbers kind of get in at you or cause pressure because that's ultimately the goal. You know, your job is to bring in as many people as possible to listen to this radio station. That's that's literally the the, the reason you're there. That's not how I approach the show. You know, I approach the show. I can because I because I can't ultimately control that. If somebody else puts something on at another time that just happens to hit some kind of a zeitgeist with with the people, what can I do about that? I can I can only control making the best radio show today. That's all I can ever do. And yes, I can plan for a week and a month and six months and a year and plan big events and plan ideas and all this kind of stuff. But ultimately, I've got to go in there in the morning, put the microphone fader up, and it has to entertain. So that's the pressure to create 
a better radio show than you did yesterday. The great thing is, if today doesn't go so well, you've got tomorrow. But the flip side of that is, it's got to happen again tomorrow. It's got to happen again the next day. It's got to happen. You know, and you can't, you can't really fluctuate. You're, you have to be consistent. And I suppose a lot of that comes from how you approach it. Like, do I arrive into work at the same time every day? Yes, I do. Am I a creature of habit? Yes, I am. But is that born out of professionalism? Yes, it is. Because I want to be there early, not because there's anybody I want to talk to in the office. It's because I want to get in. I want to check that the the log in the studio is set up exactly the way I want it so that there's little or no chance of there's something going wrong. Something always goes wrong, but little or no chance of it. I want to have a think about the day's show, think about the order in which we're going to do things, read over briefs that I might have for interviews or ideas you might have for the start of the show or I want to do that. I want to do that before anybody else comes in so that by the time they come in, I'm now fully kind of informed on what I think we're doing. Then we sit in a very fluid meeting with the team and we go through, has something broken overnight or this morning that's more important than what we thought we would do? If it has, how do we handle it? You're trying to do the best show you can do, but you're giving yourself the best chance. you know. And that's what myself and the team do every day is we, we set ourselves up to succeed. That's a lot of hard work. And it's not just rocking up at nine o'clock, throwing the mic up and hoping for the best, you know. A lot of the people that I've spoken to in the podcast have been business owners or entrepreneurs. Listening to you there, it's like, even though you work for Today FM, who are part of a bigger media group, Mm. you're the CEO of the Dave Moore Show. So you have to basically run it, budget it, staff it and make it better every day than it was yesterday. There's kind of a level of ownership. You're obviously invested in the product because ultimately the product is you. And if the product is successful, you will be successful. That's a yeah, it's a really good analogy. Um, we're not islands in the sense that Ian Dempsey feeds into me. I feed into Pamela Joyce. Like we're a group belonging to Today FM. But I can't control what Ian does and I can't control what Pamela does. I can only control the three hours I have. You know, I am the CEO of that. Ultimately, I guess all decisions would rest with me. Do I respect all the members of my team? And if one of them really passionately felt that, you know, we shouldn't do this, we should do this, whatever, you know, I'll I'll bow to that logic as long as there's a justification for it. But ultimately, yeah, it's my name over the door. Now my name solo over the door. So the book stops there. And I mean, if, if it doesn't go well, I'll be the first one to know about it. Mm. So you have to kind of take that type of CEO ownership over the type of entrepreneurial thing and go, you know, you live and breathe it 24-7. You think like everything is to the advantage of, of, in this case, the show and other people's lives. It could be the product or the service or whatever it is. But you just you just don't stop. You don't stop thinking about it. You don't stop, you know, worrying is the wrong word, but being concerned about it and, and wanting it to be the best it can be. Uh, what what is the growth? What where can we, uh, you know, find more listeners? Where can we convert? We all often have a thing in our previous show, and and um, it'll be born out in this show as well. When people sample the show, they really mm. like it. Mm. So our challenge is always to get new people in because once they come in, they'll stay. You have to then take a more business minded approach, a professional approach, to it and go. Well, then how do we get listeners in the door? Mm. Can't just hope it's going to happen you know you have to be strategic you have to be lined up with your marketing department you have to be you know your online presence has to reflect what you do on your radio show and if people like what you do in a social media world then chances are they'll come in and and give you a try 
maybe they can listen, maybe they can't, whatever their lives kind of, uh, you know, dictate. But, you know, I suppose you're you're kind of, you're, you're just looking for opportunities all the time to create more consumers of your product. The pressure of the listenership figures 21 years into it, is it a case of it's it's there, but you don't overanalyze it? Or is the pressure like every three months going, Jesus, we're back a bit or we're after growing a bit or? If I don't want to analyze it, that's tough because the bosses will analyze it. <laughs> and the, the spreadsheets, if they were printed out, are a foot thick in terms of the data they get out of the of the, the the ratings. So I don't think if you do rating, if you do radio for ratings, I don't think you'll succeed. I think you'll succeed if you try and make a better radio show than you did yesterday or try and make the best radio show you can make. Ratings ultimately are a flawed system, but they're flawed for everybody. No one is at an advantage, but ultimately it's a small sample size of people asked over a period of weeks in a window, and then that's statistically extrapolated to reflect the, the world. I, you know, I don't know how they do it. I don't care how they do it. It's as unfair for me as it is for someone on another radio station. But ultimately, yes, you do sometimes see things and go, how can that be true? How can that radio station have gone up 1.7% market share in, in three months? It just, it's literally physically impossible. But the statistics are there and Will, does it correct itself? Yeah, usually, on you know, we look at things, what we call book on book, which is the three months of this year versus the three months, same three months of last year. And we look at year on year and we go, OK, well, the 12 months up to this point and the 12 months up to this point, where are we? Have we grown? Have we moved? Whatever it is. And over the course of that year on year, you will see corrections happen. So you'll see, oh, you remember they had a really good book in or maybe or we had a really good book in the first quarter of 2022. And we just stinker in the second one. So then by the time you're in the second quarter of 2023, you've dropped your really good book, but you've got your stinker still sitting there. And that's not going to go for another three months. And it's that cumulative total that ultimately is your number. So, you know, you just hope to have a lot of the better books and not as many of the of the poor ones. And look, you know, as I said, you said I've been 21 years, four times a year. What is that? 80, 84 sure. ratings books and haven't been sacked yet <laughs> um, plenty of time. But, you know, from that point of view, yeah, there is pressure and you do go into those meetings. You can never predict them. And, yeah, you know, sometimes the bosses will say things like, to you, you know, well, we think this is going to be a tough book or we think and sometimes they're right and sometimes they're it's the absolute opposite. And you kind of go, nobody knows, you know, ultimately. And you might do a huge marketing project. You know, you might spend a million euro marketing the station. And it could have no impact on the ratings. You're like, Jesus, what did we do there? Like, you know, mm. now it should work. If, if the right people are making the right decisions, it should be fine. But, you know, it's those things where you can't, you can't really control the ratings. So what can you control? You can control how you approach the next day's radio show. If it's really good, high five your team, feel proud of yourself and away you go. But ultimately you've got to go back in the next day and do a radio show. That's already in the middle of the next survey period. That's already six weeks old by the time you get the result. You know what I mean? So the chances are, if you have a stinker and you say, you go in the next day and you go, right, let's change this and let's do this. And this. It's too late. Well, too late for that book because that book's probably already been surveyed and you were doing the same things. Mm. So the changes you make then will, will reflect in the following book. So it's a, you know, it's a nonstop cycle. But like I said, you wouldn't, I wouldn't certainly, I wouldn't do something 
that I think is going to guarantee ratings. I would do something that's really good radio and hope that that guarantees ratings, if that makes sense. The the mind yourself know features you used to have, you know, with Fiona Brennan and the positive habit and different people from kind of that sphere coming on. Did you take any kind of nuggets of information from those people that have helped you in your career or like, you know, by osmosis, did you just kind of go like, geez, what they said? No, really, that was that was class that really hit home. It's a really good question, actually. Um, I would like to think that it doesn't even have to be the the the, the contributors in Mind Yourself now. I know I know exactly what you're getting at, and obviously they're focused on personal development and well being and all those things. You, you could get a nugget of information from anybody you speak to, and and I would kind of approach every interview in that way. I'd kind of say to myself, "Well, hang on, like who am I talking to today? Whether it's a listener, a celebrity, you know, somebody who's promoting something." or indeed somebody in the Mind Yourself Now segment. From a career point of view, I don't think so. I don't. Certainly nothing jumps out. From a well-being point of view, we had this uh, cardiologist from The Beacon on, and we used to do a thing called Ask, or Ask Me Anything. So it was literally where listeners sent in questions to a person with an interesting job. We got them on and, and we asked the listeners questions, not our, not, so we didn't interview them. We just facilitated the listeners questions. And one of them was, we hear all these statistics about men of a certain age. What is the number one thing you'd recommend to men over 40? And he said the name of some kind of a scan, whatever it's called, like angio something. Uh, anyway, he said, look, that's the number one thing. He said, do that because that gives your cardiologist a perfect picture of where you are with your heart. And do it in your 40s so that he can either say to you, go away till you're in your 50s or, OK, make changes now and see real you know, improvements in the next 10 or 20 years. So as he as we put the microphones down, I went, when can I book in for one of them? Went over. Turns out I'm one of those people where he said, I'll see you in 10 or 20 years, which is great. But I suppose things like that do definitely stand out that, look, I, I can have all the career plans you know, that I want and dream of. But if I drop dead tomorrow, it's not, I'm not going to be able to do much of them. So I suppose that that does stand out to me as something where it was a practical step that I took off the back of a piece of content on the radio. Should I listen to the dietitians and the exercise guys? Yes, absolutely. Do I look after my own mental health? Yes, I do. I meditate all the time. I, I am a positive person. I seek out positivity. I, I push out positivity. So maybe from that point of view, then I'd get less from the wellness side of it. But like I said, maybe the physical and the the being a being a healthier person could be looked at. But no, I, I think for me, the show I've always wanted to do with Dermot and without is a is just positivity. Like I want people to tune in to my show and not not be blindly positive, not ignore or turn away from the realities of the world. But I don't want my show to amplify that stuff. I want my show to amplify the feeling you get when you listen, which hopefully is, this is good fun. This is positive. This is a place I can go to be part of something that isn't a big downward negative spiral or, you know, a part of the the news cycle. Obviously, we have news, but part of that kind of clickbaity, bad news, bad news, bad news thing. That's, you're not going to get that from me. I'm not hired to give you that. If, I, if that was my job, I'd walk away. I'm a financial advisor by trade, so I have to ask you a couple of financial questions. Don't <laughs> worry, I won't be I won't be getting them um, the brain working overtime here. Um, best and worst financial decision. Uh, most unfortunate, I think, is the first house my wife and myself bought was uh, one of those famous houses riddled with pyrite. 
so it has basically been a noose around our neck for what what is it 2023 so it would have been 2022 so 17 years mm. it hung around our neck and prevented us from pursuing any other financial dreams we may have had um we were able to buy our next house uh, where we live now and where we've no intention of moving from and all of that so I, i'm not not overstating the hardship but certainly you know given our our kind of plans previous to learning that information uh for the first 20 years of our marriage and and, and our, our financial scenario that would have been a big blow big blow and we'd still feel it today you know there's no way around it like you know you can't uh, free yourself of certain things and look to have income to invest or to make decisions about if everything is tied up in a double mortgage you know never going to make the money back post crash scenario where your house went from being with a hundred grand of equity in it to being literally valued at zero the next day. Like, you know, it, it's a crazy situation. So that would be the most unfortunate, you know, it wasn't a bad decision. We just bought a house, you know, that everyone else in the same estate bought. And we just had no idea this was the case. And uh, best decisions. Um, I think being brave enough to more stupid enough to do a lot of work in my house on my own mm-hmm. as in DIY, mm-hmm. but, but big projects, not I built a table, like, you know, like for example, uh, a showmer out the back that would cost 30 grand. I built it for three and a half. That's on your social media. Some of the, um, the handiwork is very impressive in fairness. Yeah. Well, it, look, it's something I'm really passionate about. Something I love doing again, another part of, of that mental wellbeing is, is, is when you do a job like I do and, it's very esoteric and it's kind of just goes out into the world. Is it good? Is it bad? Who knows? Did I have fun? I did. So maybe it was okay. You know, whereas physically making something with your hands that didn't exist previous to you buying the the raw materials, and uh, that's a really satisfying thing for me. So, yeah, no. So I, I've done things around the house that have, in real terms, I suppose, when you factor in the cost it would have been, the fact that that money would have had to have been, had tax paid on it or whatever, that's been a huge saving for us over the years and on projects that we dream projects we wanted to do. And then to have the the wherewithal and the interest and to spend enough hours on YouTube to learn how to do these things and then go and actually do them. Um, that's been a real bonus. Uh, but like I said, uh, because of the first scenario I explained, I haven't really been dipping my toes into any kind of, you know, financial good or bad scenarios because I've just been tied up uh, for, for, for the the most of my adult life to be honest is there any bit of advice or any kind of uh nugget that you've that you've received from anyone over the years that you know refer back to going you know what i think if you stick to that you won't go too far wrong but i remember talking to my dad maybe 15 years ago whatever and kind of commenting you know that i'm so lucky you know like fortune has played such a part that you know i uh, i met my wife through a set of circumstances that led me to work on a show on RTE and she was on that show. I lived with her in LA for for a period of time in 2002, came back, realized we were both going back to our parents' houses. I didn't want that. I wanted to live with this woman. So then I decided I would change my job somehow to create a more stable income rather than the sporadic self-employed income I had. And that's when the radio presented itself to me. So I was kind of open to, to taking that opportunity at that moment. And what he said to me, 
which other people have since echoed, is yes, it's luck, but you have to be open to the opportunities that luck places in front of you. And I think that's something I definitely live by. If you're not open to whatever chance comes along on your path, then maybe that's the luck. Maybe the luck is is by being open, it's more likely that you will step into something, more likely that you will take a chance. Look, I studied business in in university for four years, as all radio DJs do, combined with Russian language, and <laughs> here we are. Um, but but I remember, you know, in marketing and strategic management, the SWOT analysis, and you look at the strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats, whatever. Like, that's a really good piece of life advice with any situation. Like, mm-hmm. you know, so Dermot presents a situation to me where he goes, look, I, I'm, I'm, I'm heading out the door. So I look at that, and then I have to go, well, What's the strength of him walking out the door? Well, the strength is like, do I believe I can do this on my own? Yes, I do. The weaknesses are, I've been with him for 21 years. The opportunity is, it's a chance for me to step out into the light on my own. And the threats are, it mightn't work and the bosses will sack me. But when you weigh all those things up, you have to go, well, like, I have to be open to this opportunity. Otherwise, if I spend a lot of time thinking negatively about it or questioning it or, you know, trying to find the things that could be wrong with it, well, then it's going to pass me by or it's going to not work out. Luck and fortune will present opportunities to you, but you have to grab them and you have to then make the best of them. That pretty goes back to your earlier comment at the start of the podcast. We said that you just like having good interactions and you've got a positive outlook because if you were told like the SWAT analysis was a great analogy because you're like, there is strengths, weakness, opportunity, threats, but I'm open to everything rather than just being like, this is going to be a disaster. You know, I'm not going to work. How can I do it on my own after 21 years? So obviously you're, I think your, your mindset obviously was a big part in you being able to take the ball and run with it too, I guess. Yeah, I think so. I think you're right. I think, and I think that has been probably in, in the most practical terms been borne out in this process I've gone through to take the biggest, most successful commercial radio show in the country and turn it into something that I'm doing on my own. Like that's a real challenge, full of threats and full of weaknesses. But you know, yeah, you lean into the positive, lean into the strengths. Design a show that completely emphasizes what I'm good at. Design a show that makes me excited to get up every morning, go in and do the best thing I can do, as opposed to, you know, design a show, whether by hook or by crook, that ultimately misses the guy that's been there for 21 years, you know, and and uh, don't get me wrong. I'm sure there are people listening who really feel that they really go, uh, you know, Dermot would make this so much better. I wish Dermot was there, whatever. I, I don't doubt that. But I think the majority of the certainly the, the reaction we've had since we started is that this show, Dave Moore and Today FM, is its own thing. It has its own identity. And that's probably the biggest compliment that it can be paid, you know. Now, I could literally talk to you all day, but you're an unbelievably busy man, so I won't. <laughs> I'm going to finish on a few questions, if you don't mind. Um, self-indulgence by me. <laughs> Favourite Metallica song? Um, something from Injustice for All. Probably the title track, Injustice for All, or Dyer's Eve, the last song on the, on the, around the record. Favourite gig? My favorite gig ever is probably going to surprise you, but it was NSYNC in Anaheim, California, on my birthday, March 11th, 2002. <laughs> um, biggest metalhead you'll find, but I adore pop music, always have. And I don't mean just listen to it. I mean, for before I worked in radio, I was a music producer and songwriter in pop. Like that was what that was my career. That's what I was planning on doing before radio came along and offered me a six-month contract in, in 2002. 
But we were living in LA, in LA. My wife is an actress. She wanted to pursue the Hollywood thing and see if she liked it. Turns out she didn't. So we moved home fairly well after, I don't know, three or four months. But while I was there, uh, she surprised me with these tickets for my birthday and said, we are going on Friday, whatever it was, uh, to see NSYNC. And this was literally every dream come true for me. Like to <laughs> the way these guys perform, the way the people behind them put the music together, you know, the production, it was everything, everything I wanted. So that is literally my favorite gig, which I know is hilarious, but it actually genuinely is. Yes. Dave, what would you say your blueprint for success is? A positive personality, which maybe or maybe is not something you can have or not have. Maybe it's just a natural predisposition to positivity, but I do believe in waking up and searching out the positivity not again not blindly not without respect to the negativity that has to be there and you have to understand it and recognize it and interpret it but i think that positive outlook which sees the opportunities as opportunities so going back to the thing my dad said to me being ready to be lucky i think that is probably the thing that i get up every day with is you know i'm going to go to work today and live my life today as positively as I can. And if an opportunity presents itself, I'm going to try and take it if I think it's the right thing. That's kind of that's kind of how I approach everything. Now, I'm sure my wife will disagree and say I'm a grumpy shite. Uh, and <laughs> I don't know where all this positivity is when you get in at five o'clock and you're ratty with the kids. But, you know, that's did you, life. Did, did you approach Kedding for Dermot? In, in the program <laughs> positively. Do you know what? That was one of the most negative situations of my life. <laughs> um, look, those things, look, what, what is the opportunity there? The opportunity there is absolute and utter ridicule because that's what the listeners want. So you lean into that. And am I as miserable as I look in the photographs? Close, but not quite. And it's not an act. I'm not taking, you know, I'm not, I'm not putting it on. I've, and hated every second of it. <laughs> Carrying that bag in those stupid overalls in one of the hottest days of the year when everyone else is just in shorts and t-shirts and pushing the carts along the place. Uh, golf is boring enough when you're playing it. When you're caddying, it is literally hell. But what do our listeners want? They want that exact scenario. So the Dermot is taken the piss out of me yeah. that I'm coming in the next day and telling that story. Yeah. So, you know, so yeah, so you still find the opportunity, even if you are genuinely miserable, you go, well, at least it's good content. Seeing the picture online and it like, was a Brezzy said, uh, I've known this man for 20 years. I have never <laughs> seen him not smile. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. It was like, there was two times I can think of. One is that, and the other one is when they made me ride the, the, the roller coaster in Taito Park because the listeners donated, I think it was, geez, was it 75 grand or something in charity oh uh, for the Dare to Care thing for the Irish Cancer Society. And it was like, this is dare, the dare, the thing I would hate to do most. And I sat in the in the roller coaster and they mic'd me up and cameraed me up for the screaming and the wailing and the hands, whatever. And for the entire, I think it's a minute and 20 seconds, which seems like four hours when you're doing it. I sat there in absolute abject despair and silence. They got nothing out of me. And I didn't do it on purpose. 
like all I could think of was, was I'm really sad because this is how I'm going to die. <laughs> like that's literally all I could think of was like, this is it now. I've had a good life. Yeah. I'm going to die on this wooden rickety <laughs> death machine. And I just was sad. Like I'm never sad. It was one of the few times I was genuinely so that and the and the, the caddying. And the trust me, the caddying was ten times better than going on that roller coaster. But uh yeah, there, there are definitely opportunities for me to go. This is a terrible decision. I'm never doing this again. Dave, thank you so much um, genuinely for coming on. Uh, I, I, I could talk to you for hours, but I've I've taken up enough of your time. And um, I want to wish you all the very best with the Dave Moore show. Ongoing success with the podcast and um, keep doing what you're doing because it's it's working for sure. Well, John, thank you very much for having me. I've listened to a good few of your episodes since you got in touch with me. And I have to say, I love what you're doing. I love the positivity. I love the interview style. I love the research you're plainly doing to to to, to get these podcasts the way they are. So you keep doing what you're doing. I'll do what I'm doing. And uh, we'll definitely meet for a second episode at some stage. Thank you all for listening. I really hope you enjoyed that episode. For more information about me, John O'Driscoll, and my day job as a financial advisor, please visit blueprintfp.ie. For more information on the podcast or to listen to other episodes, please visit the-blueprint.ie. Catch you all in the next episode. Take care.